You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you Zen Tri studs and studettes, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and learn a lot about ourselves along the way. All right, on this episode, I got my hands on my very own pair of form swimming goggles. These are the ones that have the head up display inside, and I'm going to do a review of those. And not only will I give you my overall impression, I actually have a lot with them in the training log, which which is the second part of the show where I take you with me training and I take you with me on three swims and my revelations every day as I use them and, and come back with like, oh, whoa, this was cool. Oh, wow, this was really neat. And I got to say, my overall impression at first is, you know, 4.5 out of five stars and they are very impressive. And yeah, we'll talk about those. We'll also do a quick moment of Zen, a little lesson from a Zen master that will help you with your training and racing and your overall multi-sport life. And we have a letter from a listener about working on bikes and local bike shop situations. And there's a lot of things going on in this letter, which would be very useful for us to talk about on the show. So I'm very excited about reading that to y'all. But first, let me tell you who I am. My name is Coach Brett. I am a 15-time Ironman, 100-mile trail run finisher, done tons of 50-milers. I've swam the length of Lake Tahoe from south to north, which was 22 miles. It's one mile longer than the English Channel. I grew up as a competitive swimmer, transitioned into mountain biking and surfing, actually, of all things, now that I think about it. (laughs) And then when I moved back to Texas from California, started to get into on-road paved triathlon and just fell in love with it because it made for a great sport to do here in Texas and in the Midwest year-round. And started off as a sprint triathlete, working my way up into Olympic, then half Ironmans, and then full Ironmans. Got very competitive at the full Ironman distance. Was an Ironman all-world athlete. And then during the pandemic and my son's high school mountain bike career, got into doing mountain bike racing, which... Like I said, right right after my swimming career, where I had scholarships to college for swimming, I was a really fast sprint freestyler. And the first love after that was mountain biking in college because it really got you into the woods. And I grew up as a Boy Scout and Eagle Scout backpacking and camping all around in the wilderness and fell in love with that. And mountain biking really lets you do a lot of that. And then as my son started to get more into mountain biking and showed signs of some real talent. It was very impressive. Then uh, to get in more volume, I said, well, what you got to do is you got to put in road miles. And we did some road riding. And he also grew up as a triathlete too and was winning a lot of stuff and podiuming and that. And But then switching over to mountain biking, he showed signs that 
that he could be great. And I said, well, if you want to be great at mountain biking, you got to put in volume on the road. And when we tried doing that, just as regular road riding, one, it's dangerous. It's not as exciting as mountain biking. And then that's when gravel biking came into the picture. It was suddenly becoming very, very popular. And that's a long story in itself, how we got the gravel bikes and all that. But we have done a bunch of gravel bike races during the pandemic and over the past year, even more. Uh, gravel Locos, Gravel Worlds. No, it's not called Gravel Worlds. That's that's a Garmin thing. Garmin has one in Nebraska called Garmin Worlds. We did a Garmin. No, we did a UCI Gravel Worlds qualifier. We did that. The very first race we ever did was a couple years ago. The El Camino 205. Fell in love with gravel racing because it's long distance usually. It's almost like mountain biking, uh, but you get, it's just like the most amazing training. You get in very long distance, very long sustained climb so you can build your aerobic base, but it's far safer and far more entertaining than road bike riding. So when Kai goes out on a gravel bike ride, I feel nowhere near as paranoid that he's going to get hit by a car <laughs> when he's doing that than when he's riding a road bike in traffic. And also we can ride side by side on these gravel roads, so it's fantastic. But anyway, my whole point with all that is I have been a triathlon, Ironman, ultra running, ultra swimming, marathon swimming is what they call it, cycling event, just you name it, I've done it, and I coach it, coach. And I've always got a couple spots available. We use Training Peaks, which is the leader in endurance coaching. I build you a training plan, we get feedback back and forth, and... I can train you up for your event, anything from your next 5K to your next Ironman to an Ultraman. I've actually done one of those too, which is a double and a half Ironman. It's over three days and I'm your guy. So to get some coaching from me, just send an email to texafornia at gmail.com and put coaching in the subject line. Or you can go to zentrathlon.com and find a link to get coached by Coach Brett. And there's a form you can find there to give me your information and we can get started. It's $1.99 a month and it's full custom coaching just for you and your goal. So let's get it started. Drop me a note. Okay, like I said, I have a very strong history in competitive swimming. It's what I did from age nine all the way through state finals as a freestyle champion. I was varsity swim team captain and this is in Texas where... It's like Florida and California. Swimming is huge here. And I made it to state finals in 50-yard free, 100-yard free. I was anchor on the freestyle relay, which means if you're anchor on the relay, that means you're the fastest so that you, uh, they rely on you to pull it out at the last minute if you have to, <laughs> to take, take the win in a relay if you can. And then also in the medley relay, I was uh, the very last swimmer, which is freestyle as well. So I was your guy. I was very much a sprint freestyler swimmer, very, very familiar with long, hard workouts and keeping track of data and watching the pool clock, all that stuff. Oh yeah. And being screamed at early in the morning by your swim coach. Swim coaches are some of the angriest people I've ever met in my life. And we had an especially classic one. So this is in the eighties and nineties where I'm on swim teams. And we just had endless sets where you lose track of what lap you're on. You lose track of the time. 
you're just trying to keep up with everything and it is just so much going on. Uh, packed lanes, very tough. And I have actually poor vision, so I would either swim with, with or without contacts. Um, so I could either totally see fine or I couldn't see at all, <laughs> one or the other. I've got a little bit of ADD, so like I would totally lose track of what lap I'm on. I would have to ask other people around me, or I couldn't see the clock because it's too far away and I have any contacts in, or your goggles leak and then you you can't see anyway. And it's just, swim team practice is just nuts, right? Well, then getting into triathlon, a lot of us swim the way a lot of us swim actually changes. We swim either by ourselves, we swim in smaller groups, it's far more gentle on you, and the just the whole dynamic's a little bit different. Now, that's not necessarily true for everybody. A lot of people do master swim practice, and I've been to a few of those, and it's a lot like high school swim team and college swim team, uh, but not entirely. It's still, you know, a little bit more laid back, and people you know, can make their own decisions on what they want to do. You don't have to do exactly everything the the coach says. <laughs> you can be like, well, I'm just not doing that. My right shoulder hurts and I am not swimming that right now. Where, yeah, if you were on regular swim team growing up, it's like coach just screams at you. Well, it doesn't matter. You're going anyway and you have to stay on the clock. But my point being is that the goggles I'm about to describe to you, the reason I give them a 4.5 out of 5 is only because I think that they're better designed for people that have a little bit more freedom and independence in their swimming, which makes them perfect for triathlon and long distance swimming. And here's why. But let's back it up a little bit. These goggles came out two years ago, maybe. Uh, They've been around long enough. I usually don't buy high-tech stuff right up front. I wait for it to be kind of proven a little bit because it's expensive. And these goggles are currently $250, I think. So that's a lot. But I did notice that along with some other triathletes, you get your ones that that promote things and all oh, these are the best. These are really cool. And it, it made a lot of news, these goggles. But then Lionel Sanders who's a very honest triathlete, said that he was swimming with them and really liked them a lot and that they really did work. And that, if Form Swim is listening, uh, that is what put me over the top, was your recommendation from Lionel Sanders. So good move on y'all for working with him on that. And then the second person that clued me in on these goggles was a fellow swimmer. So I was at the pool and this guy had them on and I recognized them because they have the head-up display kind of off to the side. They look slightly different than normal goggles. Not not much, but you have to kind of know what you're looking at. And then you're like, oh, those. I wonder if those are those goggles. So I was swimming in the lane next to him and I asked him about them and he was just raving about them and he took them off and I just, I didn't swim... I don't think I even swam a lap with them. I just put them like against my eyes and I was like, whoa, holy cow, that is cool. And yeah, they were really like, the the numbers were in your line of sight, a little bit off to the side, but but uh, just bright and visible. And he, he was just like unable to contain himself with how well these goggles worked. And they 
for him, he was uncoached and he was getting his workouts through the goggles and he wasn't a strong swimmer. So he was getting his workouts through the goggles and telling him what to do. And it was perfect for him. He absolutely loved him. Hey guys, I realized when I was editing this episode that the actual review of the goggles themselves after I wore them for the first time was going to end up so far at the back end of the show before I actually started talking about them that I really thought that it's way better to put it up front. So we've talked a little bit about the theoretics of the goggle, the goggles. So I'm going to go ahead and put my first impression right now, uh, right after I got out of the pool and wearing and wearing them. And then as we go over through the rest of the episode, then we'll get my second, third, and then we're going to do uh, and fourth, but we're going to spread it out over two episodes because we've got a whole other podcast full of great training and fun and zen goodness all ready to go in this show. So we need to go ahead and put in the first part of the review up front and then more of the review will be scattered in the podcast as we go. All right, here we go. All right, we are leaving the Zentri Aquatic Studios, leaving the pool. And oh my God, <laughs> the form swim goggles with the head up display are a revelation, man. It's so cool putting the stuff to dry out in the back of my truck here hopping in setting up a towel so I don't ruin my seats something all you Texas swimmers already know okay I'll give the major positives first and then we'll give a couple of the negatives or things you just have to deal with so the coolest thing I realized halfway through the swim, I can't believe I didn't notice this at first. I don't have to count laps. It tells you how many laps, your distance that you're currently at. And, you know, I'm trying to swim 4,000 yards total and with kind of oddball interval stuff that I do mixed in. And I don't have to look at my watch anymore or wonder or count. Now, the problem with counting is losing count especially if you're kind of ADD and then you see, I don't know, somebody walking across the pool, you see a bird, <laughs> you think of anything else, you've lost count. I was really bad at losing count in swimming. I would have to ask other people what lap we were on all the time. So this shows you what lap you're on. It shows you total elapsed time. I need to figure out how, I don't really care about that. I want to see elapsed time actually you know, swimming. So that's probably a setting in there. But when it's doing the counting for you, I can just swim and let my mind wander and get my swimming meditation in way, way better. Okay, now let's switch over to a couple of downsides. I came from, I think they're Aquasphere. No, I forgot what brand they are, but they're Kaiman swim goggles and those are like the softest biggest field of vision goggles that you can get even the lenses are kind of flexible and these things are hard lenses uh, they're definitely not swedish goggles but compared to and swedish goggles are the ones that have no rubber gaskets on them whatsoever compared to what i was swimming before these things are definitely harder and and nowhere near as comfortable and start to hurt the eye sockets and pinch the nose a little bit but back to an upside 
is they come with like seven different nose bridges. And I spent probably half an hour last night trying to pick out which ones that uh, would fit me best. And I'm kind of guessing I'm with the mediums. I figure because I have such a giant circumference of my head is really big that I would have a large nose bridge, but it's not. It's more about like how big is your nose and how big is your, uh, how, how far is the distance between your eyes kind of thing. Mine's just average, I guess. So customization is really great. But field division is not, side to side it's fine, but to the front, oddly enough, it's uh, diminished. So if you're trying to be, if you're not, if you're not good at predicting when you might hit the wall, you're going to have to look forward and up just a little bit more as you get to the end of the, to the end of the lap. Another upside is that this won't occur to most people as a, as a utility, but for me it is. I swim in an oddball length pool. It is somewhere like 28.1 and a half yards long. <laughs> and it messes up my swim totals. I have to pick. It's nice that on a Garmin watch, I can pick 28. You know, I can at least do that. I'm not stuck with 25 yards or 25 meters or 50 or whatever. I can do a custom length, but it doesn't do by tenths of a yard. And these goggles do, which is for me like a big surprise. I was like, what? Awesome. Awesome. Because I'm having to record my swims is actually being a tiny bit slower because I averaged down because it's just a fraction longer than 28. You know, it's like 28.1, 28.2. So I just round down and I'm missing yardage. I'm actually swimming faster than what my workout show I'm doing. And then now it's much, much closer. And a downside is it's yet another device you have to charge. So just like you have to charge your shifting, charge your watch, all that stuff. But I think that's a thing that over time you can learn to manage with having charging stations set up and with habits and then a backup pair of goggles in case you forget to charge yours. And you should have a backup pair of goggles anyway. One, in case your own break. Two, in case a friend forgets theirs, theirs breaks, you can loan them to a friend throughout the swim. And then they're forever thankful. And you've made a new buddy. Downside is you have to take care of these. These are $250 goggles. Uh, so instead of having, you know, $25 goggles, $30 goggles that when they break, you're like, ah, oh, it kind of sucks, but whatever. I'm going to have to just order another pair. It's no big deal. Won't impact your monthly financial uh, decisions quite so much, but $250. And I could see like getting addicted to these and then you're out and you're like, I don't even know what to do. I can't swim without these. <laughs> On that note, Kai lost his rear radar Garmin. It bounced off the bracket broke that it was attached with bounced off and then went back later. He and his girlfriend and Emily went for a drive. I went for a nap. They went for a drive, went back and found it on the gravel road and been run over and smashed to pieces. And that's $200.
right? So it's kind of the same area. Now we got to figure out what to do until we can scrape together $200 to buy another radar so Kai doesn't get run over. Because once you start using those rear radars for countryside rides, it is a game changer. Like you don't want to leave the house without it. They are amazing. You feel really exposed and in danger. So what I was showing was at the turn, how fast every 25 yards was. That was another thing that was really cool. I could make changes in my stroke or changes in my effort. And within the next flip turn, it'll tell me, it shows for about five seconds, what your uh, last or what your current, I have it set to what my current interval set pace is. And it'll show it like dropping down. But it seems like there's just a ton of metrics to deal with that are really, really cool. And I haven't really decided yet. And I think over time, I will change them as I go. It seems like it's really difficult to change them mid swim. You kind of be got to committed before you swim. But I think having the ability to see stuff at any time that you want has an impact on what fields you actually want to see. And then also I was swimming with my Garmin watch at the same time on my wrist. So I actually could look at some other metrics if I wanted to. And also the rest and pause and all that stuff was spot on. I got no errors as far as it thinking that I'm you know, turned when I didn't, as far as it thinking that I was stopped when I didn't or started when I didn't. So that was really, really nice. One thing that's easy to change is the brightness right in the middle of your swim, like you're at the wall and between sets, you're like, when I swim right now, uh, it starts off dark and then as the sun comes up, it gets brighter outside. So the display needs to be brighter. So I adjusted the brightness up and it was really, really cool. <laughs> so again, I'm blown away right now. I will have more updates with it over time. I could totally see this as a piece of gear that I stick with uh, for a long time. As long as I can figure out the comfort with uh, trying out different nose bridges, they're pretty easy to swap out. And again, a lot of things are just kind of awkward because you're not used to them yet. I used to swim with goggles like that for years. I just don't want to show up at work with raccoon eyes because I'm got red pinch marks and all kinds of things going on under on my nose bridge and it's not across the top of my nose it's like where if your eyeglasses sat on your nose like the sides on the side of your nose and then uh, the bottom rim of my glasses uh or the goggles were kind of pushing against my eye sockets but anyway that's it i need to go into w to the erk and get some work done be right back oh yeah i just remember two other things one I think I kind of mentioned these are expensive goggles, so you've got to take care of them. That's a downside. Rinsing when you're done. I'm dreading them getting foggy and you can't see as well over time because of exposure to chlorine and all that. So you have to take extra steps to take care of them. Kind of goes along with if you wear cheap goggles, it doesn't really matter over time. They're going to break anyway, so you just throw them out and get another pair. And then, yeah, the last thing that was really weird and a little scary at first is I put them on. I took off my glasses and I put them on and I've got really good up close vision. I don't need reading glasses whatsoever. I've got really bad distance vision. So I figured that these goggles would be fine because the head up display is like right up. 
a centimeter from your eyeball. Turns out I put them on and man, they were sucky. Like I've got astigmatism. So they're kind of like blurry and twisted and I can't see, I have to squint to see the numbers. And I'm like, hey, I thought they were either broken or, you know, something was wrong with them. Emily tried them on and Emily said she could see pretty good and the stuff in it. And I was like, man, what is, what is up? And then I Googled it and it turns out that if you are nearsighted, that if you have bad poor, uh, if you have poor distance vision, whatever that's called, myopia or something, then, um, you might have to wear something like contacts or corrective lenses to see the lenses up close. And I was like, oh man, I don't want to deal with that. And it's true. I went in and put in some contacts and I could see perfectly clearly in these things. And I've gotten so used to wearing glasses and not wearing contacts and just bought a high pair quality of glasses that have UV protection. I really like my, my eyeglasses. They look cool. And I wear them biking and they're just tough, uh, just awesome glasses. And for swimming to see this head up thing, I'm going to actually have to wear contacts. Maybe. I mean, I'll try it one time without contacts and see what happens. But what's interesting is with Zen, you learn not everything is good. Not, uh, not everything is not entirely good or entirely bad. Everything's a, an exchange, you know, of some good, some bad. It all depends on your point of view and you can always find an upside and every downside. And of course, wearing contacts while I'm swimming, I can actually see what's going on at the pool. <laughs> my distance vision is so bad that like I'm legally blind without my, um, without some kind of corrective vision. And so I take off my glasses. I can't find my glasses. I'm like Mr. Magoo. And the, the upside was I'm able to see like the entire pool, everything that's going on. I don't have to put on my glasses first. I have to get my glasses by the edge of the pool. And also, uh, for protective vision, I can actually wear sunglasses uh, while I'm driving and all that. And that's actually, you know, like a real upside. And I haven't worn contacts in so long that I'm sure I'm going to find all kinds of things that are like, oh yeah, that's so cool. And contacts have their downside too, you know, like, oh, this pair of contacts that I happen to have, I've got no, uh, up close vision. Like, uh, I almost need, I need reading glasses to read stuff up close. The prescription's kind of jacked up. It's a little bit old. And so now I'm swapping out one thing for the other. <laughs> It's such a pain in the ass. And in that life. But anyway, uh, okay, now I'm going to go into W2DRK. Let's get going. Okay, we are interrupting this initial review and coming back with a major update. I say during this review, I do three swims with it. And those were last week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And you get your hands on real results of what happened. Well, I did a fourth swim and it was so significant that I wanted to interject it into this beginning of the show review and my impressions that actually most of you are gonna to listen to first. So I did two different things. One, I swam with both my Garmin watch, my 945, which is an excellent swim watch. It's the triathlete version of the Garmin watch. And 
the form goggles at the same time and I picked one over the other after the swim and then the other one is the vision issue you'll hear in a second that I put on the goggles for the first time I took off my glasses and I'm nearsighted and put on the goggles for the first time and the head-up display was blurry and I actually thought they might be a, a bad unit and then I did some googling and found out that if you're nearsighted you have poor distance vision oddly enough you might need to wear contact lenses and I was like uh so I had to change my life and start wearing contact lenses again and that's what I did all last week and the goggles work pretty great but then this weekend I wore contacts and went biking and stuff and accidentally slept in them overnight not last night but the night before and then warm for a long bike ride and so my eyes are done with wearing contacts for a little bit and so this morning I was like well I'm gonna go swim with these I put them on at the house before I started swimming and then I was like well they're not actually that bad and I think I can see the display and I said well I'll just try it so I ran my watch and I brought a spare pair of goggles my old goggles with me at the same time in case I couldn't take it anymore and they worked fine they were a little bit blurry but not a game stopper and I'm telling you I have really bad distance vision <laughs> and part of what's going on is you'll notice that when you put on goggles and also especially if you go underwater the pressure against your eyes does what's similar to squinting and the physics of that when the reason you squint when you want to see something really far away is it sharpens your vision the pressure on your eyeballs changes the shape of your cornea and your lenses in your eye and it makes you see clearer and that's why people squint when they want to see something far away and it was enough where I could read the display and I was so happy I was like oh it doesn't matter if I wear contacts or if I wear glasses with these things So that was huge and the other one that is so big is you can tell what's better when you run through both at the same time and then you pick one you have a priority a preference of one over the other it's called a b testing they do it on websites all the time you've probably heard of this they'll try different titles on a website and they'll see which one gets the most click-throughs and that's how you can tell what subject matter what title what thing works you give two different workouts to an athlete and they'll do one and not the other <laughs> then you know what they prefer so I ran my watch and my goggles at the exact same time and very quickly the priority became the numbers coming off of my goggles not my watch and also because the goggles do one tenth of a yard as the smallest unit and my pool happens to be 28.1 yards and not 28 yards and i know i've got a weird pool that i swim and i explain it and that made 42 yards difference over 4,000 yards and if i swim 42 yards further 
than what my Garmin watch had said, then that actually meant, in the, in the same amount of time, that meant that I actually swam faster, which is a good ego boost. So I'm going to take the more accurate numbers, which for me this time ends up working out in my favor, and the goggles I can wear either with contacts or without. That way there's less to think about, about getting to the pool and getting swimming than I thought there was. And then also, I'm now used to the goggles peripheral vision issue, mostly the forward vision issue. I noticed that I'm picking up a little bit better on what I'm getting close to the wall. When I first started swimming with them, I was like, oh crap, the wall. <laughs> and now I can sense it a little bit better. The wall's there and you can see it. It's just like distorted a little bit. And once you get used to that distortion at the very top of your vision and that that's the wall coming, then it's no longer a problem anymore. Oh, and I did something else. This is cool. I changed a metric on it so it told me my pace every 25 yards. Like how fast was the last 25? And I could literally see me slowing down and everything that I changed per 25 yards would be reflected immediately in my pace per 100 yards. And it actually made the swim go by a lot faster because I was paying attention to that. And this constant set of numbers that I was looking at. And uh, it's kind of distracting and it made a long swim go by a little bit faster. So that was cool. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get back to the full review and the rest of the show. Here we go. And oh, also my review, you got to take into consideration. I have not swam open water with them. And they have a feature where somehow... They will talk to your GPS unit on your wrist if you're wearing like a Garmin watch and will uh, tell you your yards that you've swam uh, in open water, which I guess in a podcast coming down the road, um, we'll cover them for that. But uh, I've just been using it for pool swimming, but there's a competitor. There's a brand, uh, well, Finis or Finise is very famous in the swimming industry. They're longtime uh, swim gear company and uh, they've made some too and the reviews i read online were that the form swim goggles were just they're a tiny bit more expensive but they were worth it and and also you could flip them and i, I don't think the finesse ones you can flip and so that way you get the head-up display in your left eye or your right eye whichever one you want more whichever one you feel more comfortable with and I was like, well, I like that option. Who knows? You know, and it does make a difference. What I've learned over all these years doing multi-sport is that comfort is king. And if there's something even slightly annoying about a piece of equipment, it'll either turn you off from working out in that sport or it'll turn you off from that piece of equipment and you'll go back to use your old stuff. Like, for example, the goggles, the, the uh, form swim goggles are not as comfortable as the most comfortable goggles ever made on earth, which are the Kaiman, uh, the Aquasphere Kaimans. Those things are so incredibly comfortable. And like, I do a little bit miss those goggles and, uh, and also the field of vision that those things have, for example, right? So if these form goggles don't end up working out perfectly, then I'm going to be like, ah, forget it. I'm going to go back to them. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so aside from all that, they do come with seven, is it seven different nose bridges that you can get the perfect fit. And also you pair it with your phone and you can set up all of your screens of what you want. And it doesn't have as many uh, data fields possible like a Garmin watch. The company hasn't been around that long to come up with all these things. And there's one data field I'll get to in a minute that I wish that they had. And the other thing they, they have, though, but it's an option to buy, which I have not gotten yet, is it can take your heart rate and show that in your goggles as well. So if you want to swim by effort and do long sets like that, then that's a possibility. But you have to get this heart rate sensor that goes up against your temple. And I've got so much experience swimming that like, I kind of know what my heart rate is swimming, so I don't need it quite so much. And then... <sighs> Yeah, let's go into like setting them up. So I got them, got them out of the packaging. It's really nice stuff. And I yeah, started pairing them with my phone, powered them on and was blown away. I was like, oh my God. Oh, and, but the very first thing was I couldn't see, everything was blurry on the, on the, uh, the head-up display. And I thought maybe I had a bad unit or something. And then I found out that if you are, what is it, my if you're myopic where you're only nearsighted, but your far away vision is pretty bad that you're going to need to wear corrective lenses while you swim. And I thought that was so funny because that's the actual opposite of what you would think. The head up display is like a centimeter from your eye or less. And why would you need far away vision correction? You know, but apparently that's the, the technology behind it and the physics behind it. So, okay. So now I'm swimming with contacts again, which I haven't done in a while, but that fixed it immediately. And I also noticed I was very excited to go swim in the morning and this whole week. And then tomorrow I'm going to swim again. I've been very excited about going swimming, which is a big thing you look for in gear. Does it make you more excited to train? All this training uh, can wear you down and get you unmotivated over time. So you have to look for things that get you excited. No. And keep you excited. And I recommend that uh, to space out your purchases, <laughs> your big technology purchases or your wheels or something like that, and use them strategically so that when you're kind of like, uh, I need to train, I've got a race coming up, I'm not feeling motivated about it, that's when you buy something cool. <laughs> and that'll get you back out there again. Anyway, the quality and everything was like fantastic. Really enjoying that. And... Where they would get five out of five stars is for distance swimming long sets. I'm saying, oh my gosh, man. The fact that I don't have to count laps anymore. It counts my laps, counts my distance. Oh, and it does down to a tenth of a meter or tenth of a yard pool distance. And for me, this is huge. And I know this is a rare situation, but I swim in a pool that it's actually a 50... It's actually a 50-yard pool or maybe a 50-meter pool, but it's got a bulkhead in the middle of it that's never moved. They put it in and then just left it. And it's uh, to keep one side of the pool 25 yards. So then the other side of the pool is 28.12 yards. I'm not kidding. 28.12 or 28.14. I don't know. I have to go measure it again. And that .1 yard, well, that's... I forgot how far... <laughs> I have to do it, but it adds up over 4,000 yards, right? To be another like 25 yards or 50 yards. And it messes up 
it just annoys it, it it's just annoying that it's not a, a known length and garments are great and everything you can put in a custom length but you can't put in a custom tenth of a whatever and you can on these and i was like oh my gosh i didn't even think about that i was just hoping that you could get it down to like a an integer i didn't know that you could do a decimal so that was so cool and so now my swims are a little bit more accurate because i was having to short myself some distance and and uh, so it's reading that it's not as fast as uh i wasn't swimming as fast as i was about a second per 100 which is just nice come in and then when you do flip turns it can show you other data for a few seconds after your turn and then another crazy thing is when you come to a rest it'll show you how long you've been resting at the at the pool at the end of the pool at the wall and what's it's so funny like the the numbers are floating you know in your vision and you expect if you look away that the numbers will stay where they were but they they come with you like whatever you look at obviously the numbers go with you with your head as you turn because they're fixed in front of your head so that was kind of funny to see the rest, it says rest, you know, like 23 seconds, 24 seconds, 25 seconds. And I'm like, okay. And then I heard a noise or something and I look over to my right and then wherever I look, it's got rest. 26 seconds, 27 seconds, you know. And it's so crazy. Like it goes with you everywhere that you look. And um, I think that next, this company, they this has already been made, you know, these like sunglasses that have a head up display in them. But oh my gosh, man, it is so cool to have this kind of thing. And what I've been doing up until now is swimming and looking at my watch. And what I do is I swim long sets and then I have it beep at me at the interval that I want to keep. And then if I'm behind the interval or ahead of the interval, I'll know because I'll get to the wall before or after the beep. And I've got it set. So, um, Anywhere between like a 128 to a 133 um, per 100 yards interval. And I do, right now I'm swimming uh, 800 yards at a pop. And so that's like 12 minutes, plenty of time to forget what lap you're on. But I do it on purpose. I do it so that I can let my mind wander. And then I think of things and then I kind of plan out my day. Uh, I post on Instagram. Uh, Zen Triathlon on Instagram, a quote by Einstein that you let your mind wander, that you let your mind swim is what he said. Although famously he couldn't swim. It, he was not talking about literally going swimming, but you let your mind swim in nothingness and the ideas that pop up are the things that you need to think about and uh, do. And it's so cool that that's literally what I do. And Einstein definitely thought of it first. And so it's a... Um, it's a thing to swim long sets and let your mind wander and you can kind of like think and plan out your day, but you lose track of like what lap you're on. But I do five of them. That way I get four, is it four breaks in between. So every 12 minutes I get a break and then I just take a sip of Gatorade and that way my workout is nicely fueled. I got energy the entire time and I have a really good swim. And then during the breaks, I write down in my phone anything that I think of that I need to do. I have my to-do list open and I just add to it. Oh yeah, this, that. And if something, if the set's 12 minutes long, well, when I think of something, you know, halfway through it, I can hold on to it that long. I'll think of like two or three things at most during a set and I'll write them into my phone and then 
take off on my next set with the sip of Gatorade. And it's just fantastic, man. It's absolutely fantastic. And then my first set is easy. It's kind of warm up. And then my next set is a little bit harder. Next set, it gets a little bit harder. Next set to keep the same pace, right? And I'm trying to keep the same pace the entire swim. And when you have a lot of experience swimming, you find you have like all these different gears in swimming and it's just like being a cyclist. Like you can finally, or a runner, you can finally, you can finally tell like your pace and you try to keep the same pace. And at first it's easy. And then throughout the hour, it gets harder and harder and harder to keep that pace. But that's what you want because by the end of the workout, the end of an hour, you're finishing off going kind of hard effort wise to keep the same pace. And that's your like, kind of like your polarized training where you're keeping your, you're, uh, you're getting a nice, nice and gentle warm up, and it progressively gets harder and harder. And you're getting your full spectrum of efforts, and you're training all your systems. You're training your easy system, fat burning. You're training, you know, kind of your mid towards the end, and then you're training your. I sprint the last, not sprint, sprint, but kind of like half-hearted effort sprint, the last two hundred uh, yards or so. And then that ends up being perfect. Now, the last 25 yards, I do a full-on sprint. And that ends up being like the perfect swim workout. And this thing is showing me my yardage, and it's showing me my pace. And I can tell, like, if I'm going too fast to back off. Oh, and then the other thing is I try out an experiment with different techniques. A little bit more head up, head down, arm out, you know, steeper catch, more shallow entry, more of an arm throw, less of an arm throw, more kick, less kick, kick higher, kick lower in the water, uh, more chest down, more looking forward, more looking down, all kinds of crap. And the thing is showing me every flip turn, my pace overall, and I've got it. So when I'm not doing a flip turn uh, and and I'm cruising across the pool again, it shows me the time and overall distance. It is like the coolest setup in the world. It's exactly what I've been looking for for years instead of trying to do it all, like looking at my watch and um, hoping that I catch it on my watch and having to check it constantly. I'm sure the lifeguards are like, what is he doing? He's always looking at his watch. (laughs) Anyway, so that's what I'm getting at with this being like a wonderful tool for long distance swimmers training for long stuff, such as Ironman swims. You want to be able to swim long distances and know your pace and get a feel for it and then not get worn out and know what the right effort is for a long distance swim. This is an amazing way to do it. Now, where I take away half a star, and I would probably take away more, uh, a full star, if I was actually a um, full-time swimmer in a, like a competitive swim team environment, is I don't know if these goggles are something that you would use or could use if you were on a regular swim team. Now, maybe you can, and maybe distance specialists or something like that would you. And maybe people that are uh, full-time like collegiate swimmers, high school swimmers might be able to chime in, send me a message and let me know and say, no, we do use them in swimming and they're great. But in competitive swimming, like with, where you got five people in a lane and yeah, you're, you're swimming off the clock and stuff like that. The thing is, is in those swim team practice environments is the coach and everybody the coach is dealing with and everybody around you is living off the clock that's at the, on the wall. And 
everything is based on that. And I would say that you're, there's so much going on and there's so much data being fed to you already by the, by the team and the demands of the coach and such that this extra piece of data would be nice and be fun to use and would be worth it if there wasn't this one little problem is that I think because the design of the goggles have to be a certain way so that you get this head-up display in them is they have a little bit of a Coke bottle effect where, or like a telescope or uh, something kind of effect where you're looking, your, your field of vision uh, to the sides it might be okay, but forward, your field of vision looking forward is limited. And what I mean by that is you have to tilt your head up just a little bit more than what you're used to to see the wall coming at the far end. And also, so like I think the the lenses stick out from your head just a little bit further than what you expect. And what that does is, is it creates that effect where you can't see ahead of you all that much. So if you're in a packed lane where you don't want to be hitting the person in front of you all the time, you want to make sure that you stay on your side of the lane. And um, I I could just see them like being a little bit um, problematic in in a congested swim in a swimming pool. Now, Now, if I was doing an Ironman swim, open water, I would totally consider it worth it. After the initial start of an Ironman, you kind of like get off to the side a little bit or an open water swim, get a little bit of your own free space and just swim like you normally would. It's not, and and you're getting this information that is actually critical that you would never get in an open water swim, such as how long it's been and also the distance that you've covered. So I think it would be worth it for that. But then also the other thing is, um, I think because of the focal length of the goggles, the way they stick out from your head just a little bit more, they are a risk of coming off your face whenever you dive off of a block or push off the wall really, really hard. Um, I push off the wall pretty good on my flip turns, but you know, I'm, I'm older now and I don't think I'm pushing off as hard. Uh, I feel like I'm pushing off as hard as I used to, but I bet I'm not. <laughs> so I think it's possible for them to come off pushing off the wall. It has not happened to me yet and in a competitive swim team environment you know you get a lot of that where you push off the wall really really hard there's a lot of racing in there and then also in competitive swim team environment even in practice uh, you do a lot of diving off the blocks and if you're diving off the blocks there is a risk I've heard I haven't dove off the blocks myself with them on but I would be a little bit worried about them coming off my face because even regular goggles have a risk of coming off your face and uh, if you're diving off the blocks in a, uh, in a swim meet. Okay, so that's my first overall impressions of the swim goggles. I absolutely, really, really, really like them. The form swim goggles with the head-up display, I'm enjoying the crap out of them. And the true test, though, will be like with the Garmin rear radar is when they break hopefully way down the road, will I rush out and immediately get another pair? And that'll take some time for me to find out. But I'm predicting that, yeah, I would, I would, 
I would say eight out of 10, four out of five, I would go out and buy another pair. It's, I wouldn't rush out and immediately go out and buy another pair because they're not a safety issue. With the Garmin rear radar, when we have a problem, problem with those, like Kai just broke his, it fell off of his bike and got smashed and run over by a car. When they went out and looked for it and found it the next day. And that is a safety issue. And that thing really works. And you do not want to ride without it. If you forgot it, do you turn around and go back and go get it? Yes, with the Garmin rear radar. What I'm doing right now is with my form goggles, I'm still keeping my old pair of goggles in my swim bag. And then if something happens, like I forget to charge them or something like that, um, I've got an extra pair of goggles and I can still use my watch and I'll be okay. Will I actually go out and buy another pair immediately? They're not really a safety issue. They're just like a convenience issue. And um, yeah, I would probably get another pair as soon as I could, but it might be a while because they are expensive and they're just goggles. But we're gonna talk about them plenty more. But I have been swimming competitively for 40 years, I think, with maybe a five-year break in there after swim team and then getting in a triathlon and doing open water swimming, but still training in the pool with master swim team. And then also by myself and solo training and coaching others and stuff. And I do know what I'm talking about. And I think there's definitely a use for them. And to the audience of this show, I think I would not kick them out of bed for eating crackers. If you but anyway, there's plenty more of that in the training log. We're going to get into a review of all that stuff. Uh, my experiences using them for the very first time coming out of the water uh, three times. I got a message from Matt F. Who said that he was super excited I was making podcasts again. And I said, thank you, man. And how have you been? And he said that he was great. And he's having a midlife crisis. <laughs> He's laughing at himself. And he's upgrading bikes and been dealing with multiple local bike shops. And in the lingo, you call those LBSs. He said, multiple LBSs. I feel like this is a cycling. I feel like this is the cycling equivalent of doctor shopping. <laughs> and I said back to him, hey, that's funny, man. Uh, send me a note or a recording and we'll read it on the show. And he's like, what do you want? And I would love to. And I said, oh, just anything. It'll... Definitely make great content either way, whatever you do. And so he wrote me a short note. And what I'm going to do is read it. And instead of uh, waiting for the applause at the end, you know, where they do that, I'm going to actually do the thing where we pause at any time because there's so much going on in this. It's really interesting. And I'll forget the things if I uh, read the whole thing and then try to remember at the end. So he said, it's not so much frustration as it is LBS loyalty guilt. He ordered a carbon fork for a Surly Midnight Special. And Surly is a great off-road bike company and commuter bike and uh, touring bike. They're just a great company. They might have been some of the first gravel bikes now that I think about it. But anyway, he's got a new Surly corner bar along with the carbon fork. Google the Surly corner bar, by the way. It's pretty cool. It allows you to have all kinds of different hand positions. I looked at getting one of those one time. For a Surly 
Kona, I think is what he's saying. It's a single speed DIY project that I'm converting to gravel. So it sounds like he's got a single speed Kona, Surly Kona. No, no, Kona's a brand. So I don't know what he's got going on here. But anyway, he's got a single speed and he's converting it to a gravel bike. And at the same time, these came up. His nephew, who works at another bike shop, offered to upgrade his group set onto a specialized alley. And I think what he's saying is he's taking off the group set on one bike because now he's got a group set left over because he's converting a bike either to or from single speed. And he said, I couldn't refuse. A few days back to back where he was hauling one bike past one shop and another past the other shop. I had to tell guys at both shops about how dirty I felt. <laughs> okay. And he said, they're all cool with each other and happy. I'm supporting local. Okay, so we have that exact same situation where I live. We have two big bike shops in town. They're not even that big. They're just like medium-sized bike shops. But the, the two big bike shops in town are actually really cool with each other. And they are supportive of each other. And they will even send your business to the other one if the other one is the better bike shop to handle uh, the situation. And one is a chain that actually just turned into a Trek boutique shop. So I have a Trek Speed Concept, which is a very specialized, high-tech racing bike that I want to take to the Trek shop for them to work on. I had a problem with the bottom bracket the other day. I'm trying to remember what was wrong with it. But anyway, I took it to the Trek shop because it's a Trek bike. But then funnily enough, the other bike shop, which is more of a mom and pop shop, is the more, I don't know, like laid back shop where I can go in and kind of brainstorm ideas with them. And they've got more, I don't know, yeah, just kind of more laid back. And they get crazy bikes and they work on weird things and they don't, they're not... Uh, neither shop judges you so much, but one shop is like extremely professional and accurate and clean, and the other one is more of a mess. <laughs> and I like it. I like going in there and being like, uh, they just have like, more experience with like more random things, you know? And my son works there too, and he'll be working on a tandem, um, an e bike, um, just crazy stuff. People bring in crazy project bikes and they work on those there. And I was surprised too, whenever they were cool with me, uh, going to the other bike shop to get the part that I needed and they would recommend it. They go, Oh, I think, it, uh, I think Aggieland has that, or I think the Trek shop has that. And then go to the other shop and get it because really the big picture is like he's saying here, Matt is saying is you want to support local as much as you can. And the other thing is I've got a Canyon uh, mountain bike and we ordered it and built it up in our driveway. But then we take it to the bike shops to get worked on and they do not care. They know what's going on. You know, people buy the bikes online cause it's a better deal. But if they get uppity about you buying a bike online and then they don't want to work on it, well, they're throwing business out the window cause you go in there to get your bike worked on. Well, Guess what? You're looking at more bikes, you're buying more stuff, you're paying for maintenance, and they really don't make a lot on the bike itself. 
the margin on selling a brand new bike is pretty small and the margin on working on your bike and buying accessories and buying jerseys and socks and fuel and whatever else when you go into the bike shop is way more and however they get you into the shop is great so i will 100% what i do 100% is i try my local bike shop first and if my local bike shop doesn't have what i'm looking for then i'll go order it online for example a chain ring right or a crank set or whatever i go in there and i talk to them and then i'll say do you have this and i will pay more to have to buy it from the local bike shop because I'm trying to support them and keep them in business because I need them to be in business because I need them to work on my bike <laughs> whenever something happens. And if we buy too much stuff online and they'll go out of business and then I won't have bike shops to go to in my town. So yeah, I don't think Matt really feels that much guilt. But so yeah, I don't think Matt really feels that much guilt going past one bike shop to another, to another. Uh, it's just a reality and I just wanted to be there for him and let him know, yeah, I've been dealing with the same thing for years. And actually my Trek bike, I bought at the other shop because they used to carry Trek. And now I take it to the other, other shop to get it worked on because they're a Trek specialist. <laughs> and because the Trek shop moved into town, the other bike shop had to stop selling Treks where I actually bought my Trek from in the first place. It's complicated. It's so dumb. But that's the reality of uh, competitive marketplacing and all that stuff. So now Matt, so now Matt says, I haven't done any major upgrades in a couple of years, and then all of a sudden I'm working on three bikes almost simultaneously. I need help. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, with me racing and with Kai racing, we're talking about gravel bikes, mountain bikes. I have a triathlon bike. He doesn't do triathlon right now, so he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a tri bike. And then Emily's got a mountain bike and a road bike, and I'm telling you, it is nuts trying to keep up with all these bikes. And with Kai doing real racing uh, at the high end, then you've got high end equipment like carbon wheels, race wheels, um, space age this and new age that, and I'm getting the leftovers right now, and that's fine by me. And yeah, the other thing is that these are like completely different kinds of bikes. Completely different kinds of bikes. Gravel bike is nothing like a mountain bike, really. <clears throat> Except they have tubeless tires and disc brakes. Everything else is like completely different. And they're not like a road bike or a tri bike. That's completely different. And yeah, as these bikes get phased out, my tri bike is a 2015. And it's completely outdated now as far as wheels and and rims, uh, tires and rims and tubeless and all that stuff. And there's no helping it, you know, like I also have a titanium road bike in the garage and because it's a 2007 or 2008, it is not upgradable to wider tires. And it's so I was going to turn that into my gravel bike actually. And you can't, it'll only hold, and my tri bike too. If you're lucky, it'll hold a 25 millimeter tire. And the industry standard, and it's got no disc brakes, neither one of them disc brakes and won't take them. And it is just so frustrating that the technology changes and you got to keep up with it. I do have an opinion on something, by the way, forever bikes. People are always talking about, I want, I want to get my forever bike. And I thought I was getting a, a forever bike when I got my titanium road bike. So in a way, it's a forever bike. But also, I want to put my opinion out there and say, don't ever buy a forever bike. Don't ever buy a bike. 
and spend so much money that you think it's going to be your forever bike. It's a bad idea. Even if you think bike technology is never going to change, it will. And then you'll be left out on in the cold. And then you'll be left out in the cold with uh, old bike design. And you think, well, it doesn't really matter that much. Dude, I'm telling you, it matters. Bikes are so much better every few years than they were just a few years before. It is insane. You think that they couldn't get any better. And the latest thing is they've really improved the geometry on these bikes so they're more stable and just safer. And then with the, the tubeless tires, which allow you to repair flats faster, well, to do tubeless, a lot of times you're looking at a completely different type of wheel set and then disc brakes and stuff. And God, who knows what's coming next? Anyway, that's my little rant on that. Don't bother buying a forever bike. Just buy a, a nice bike <laughs> and consider it like a five-year purchase before you buy another one. Because that's, I would say that's the lifespan of uh, bike technology. In about five years, they're going to change enough where you're like, oh man, I'd be better off with a newer bike. Maybe maybe 10 years. I'm getting that, yeah, I'm getting there with my uh, tri-bike right now. Anyway, uh, then he says... And now listening to your current podcast, I feel the need for a damper stem, LOL. <laughs> yes. Okay. People will tell you that suspension is not necessary on a gravel bike. They are wrong. They could not be more wrong. Suspension on a gravel bike is 100% necessary. But there's a huge gray area in what you consider suspension in a gravel bike. My first gravel bike I built up myself. And it happened to have a crappy commuter, cheap, uh, low-end fork on it, a suspension fork on it. And it was wonderful until I pretty much wore it out. And you can't replace the inner, the inner workings on the fork. You just have to throw out the whole fork and buy another one. I haven't gotten around to it. and I'm bothered, bothered. But wow, it was so nice. And then um, it was kind of like a mountain bike hybrid conversion that I did just to see if I was in the gravel bike. Then I bought a real gravel bike and it came rigid and about killed me going out and riding that. And having had some suspension on my bike, I knew I could do better. But it being a brand new bike, I didn't want to mess with it too much and buy a whole, I didn't have money to buy a whole new fork on top of that. So I bought a suspension stem and that made all the difference in the world. So I have a Redshift suspension stem and it takes the edge off of bumps on the gravel bike and it's fantastic. And I would at least get that on a gravel bike. I think it makes all the difference in the world. I think it makes all the difference in the world. And what it allows you to do is you have a rigid bike that's great for climbing on gravel. And then when stuff gets a little bit rough and you're going downhill, you're not going to get your hands bounced off the bars because you hit like a sudden rock or a pothole that you weren't expecting. And I have a hairline fracture in my left arm and if I ride without any suspension on gravel it'll re-break my arm that's what it did and so yeah that's just saying like how bad you know gravel can get and it'd be nice to have some suspension okay so there's that and let's see he's saying he does have a big gravel ride coming up in September it's a charity ride but I want to finish strong and in style smiley face okay Matt now remember, the rule is <laughs> if they give out numbers, it is a race. 
That's what we joke about here. Uh, I have won several charity rides. <laughs> and I get teased by my wife about how I won this uh, charity ride. And, uh, and I said, well, it turned into a race. It starts off, everybody's like, oh, look at this charity. We're, ra- we're raising money for MS or for diabetes or something. <laughs> Somebody takes off off the front. And then the next thing you know, it is a full-on race. So I won. We had a great charity ride here for a while. I need to look to see if they're still doing it. A 100-mile Grand Fondo. And I won it two years in a row a few years ago. And I haven't ridden it since then. I think I might have won it three years. But anyway, and it had race numbers. And uh, big group people, like really big. And so it was a ton of fun. And yeah, so just ask yourself if... Uh, um, if there's race numbers, then uh, it's a race. If there's not race numbers, we did a pride ride last summer. God, it seemed like it was this summer, but I think it was last summer. Um, put on by Trek um, out, in the, out in the hills west of here. Um, and it had no race numbers in it. It was just a casual ride. But it even that thing turned into a race. Except when you cross the finish line first... People are like, yay, nice, nice job. <laughs> like that. <laughs> you ain't getting anything for finishing any kind of place, you know. And, uh, but yeah, that's my, that's been my experience with charity rides is, uh, it will def, even, even the charity rides without race numbers even turn into a race. So definitely have fun because you will if you, if you take it with the right kind of attitude and have a good time. Okay, next we're going to do our moment of zen. I'll be right back. I need a snack. Hold on. All right, we are back. We're actually in the Zentri Mobile Studios on my way to go get a burrito. <laughs> oh my gosh, the life of a triathlete. Anyway, let's do our moment of zen. Here we go. So we're going to cover this the correct way, which is two different ways, which is so zen I'm about to blow your mind. What a lot of people don't know is the approach of Zen is to break your hold on what you perceive as reality by presenting you with paradoxes and choices that can't be made without failing, questions that can't be answered And then you realize that, and you try and try to figure them out. And when you finally come to the point of realizing that there is no correct answer, that it all depends on your situation and your perspective, you finally give up on trying to have like a death grip and a hold on thinking things have to be a certain way. And what that leads to is a flexibility in the way you approach things. And that leads to a calmness because you have an assuredness that you can handle things because there's multiple ways of approaching things. And that's what leads to that zen calm and state of relaxation that you can handle anything that comes your way that people want to achieve and yeah you just got uh six years eight years ten years of zen training in uh two minutes
<laughs> they say people get really frustrated when I, when they find out that it's that easy. Well, first off, they don't believe it. And that's part of it. If you get what I would just, if you get what I just said, right? They think, no, it has to be this way. And it has to be years of training and meditation and stuff. And it's like, no, if you just get it, then you get it. And that's fine. Or you can, uh, work really hard at it if you want. There's a story of a Zen student that said, I want to become a Zen. I want to become enlightened. That's the state of, of uh, getting things, getting it. And the Zen master said, okay, that'll be two years. Said, two years? I don't have two years. I'm really, really smart. And I work hard. What's the fastest I can get it? And then the Zen master said, oh, if that's your attitude, hmm, four years. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? No, what I'm saying is I know that I will get it really fast and I'm a hard worker and I will work so hard and I'm really, really smart and I will understand it and get it and I will achieve nirvana and enlightenment because I'll be one of your best students. And then the Zen master said, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, be 10 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, that's not even the story I was trying to get to. Okay, this one is about laziness. And what's really interesting is there's two completely different stories. And I'll tell you why after we're done. And the reason that there's two is there's almost never the one correct answer to a Zen problem. And if you try to cling to that one correct answer, that's a sign that you need more work. So knowing that, let's get started. For example, one of the most famous Zen stories is the question, does a dog have Buddha nature? I mean, means can a dog become a Buddha? Can a dog become enlightened? And a student asked this to a very famous Zen master. And the Zen master said, no. And actually, it's a mistranslation. He said mu, uh, but not like a cow. It's mu, which means it's unknown. You can't tell, which people have mistranslated into no. But it's more like null. Like if you work with computer stuff, it means that there is no information. Like it's an unanswerable question. And then a while later, I think it was the same student. It might have been a different student. Went up to the same teacher and asked the question again. And this time, the teacher said, yes, a dog can have Buddha nature. So how can there be two answers to the exact same question? Well, it depends. A lot of times, the Zen master will tell the student the answer that the student needs to hear to keep progressing. So based on the context of the situation, the Zen master said no the first time, or mu, because it's not the most important question right now. Let's move along. It's almost like talking to a child. Can I have a lollipop? No. Well, then later, can I have a lollipop? Yeah. And while, you know, that's a child's question and answer right there, it also applies to much bigger things in life, such as, can I buy a car? No, not right now. Yes, now you can. Should I buy a house? No, you should buy an apartment. You know, it's like everything has context to it. And you need to have this flexibility. So moving on from that, with the laziness thing, what's interesting is there's two different stories. 
One is a student was very lazy and he went to the Zen master and said, Master, I don't want to be so lazy. I feel like it's holding me back. And the master said, oh, no, wait, the question actually was, how do I quit being so lazy? <laughs> That's what it was. How do I quit being so lazy? And the student, the student went to a Zen master. A student went to a Zen master and said, master, how do I quit being so lazy? And the master said, ah, what you don't understand is you're not being lazy enough. What you need to do is more nothing. Which, side note, that's one of the punchlines. That's one of the taglines of Zen and Yarda Triathlon is nothingness is possible. But what the Zen master was saying is the student's true nature is to be lazy, right? The student understood this about himself. And the master was saying, you will be more successful with things if you embrace who you actually are. So if you want to translate that to triathlon, if you're a really good runner, but not such a great swimmer, and you say, I want to be a better swimmer, embrace your running. That's who you really are. And run for motivation and to succeed at something and be really good at that one thing. And then let the energy that that creates, the positive feedback, turn that around into other things. Don't let the thing that you are, if you truly are lazy, don't let it bother you. That's what you are. And you can't fight the current. So learn to work with it. Use your laziness at the right time and at the right opportunity to leverage it for other things. So if you're lazy, be lazy with the things that you need to be lazy with. And be really lazy, and then eventually that'll run itself out. And then while you're not feeling lazy anymore, go do the things that you have energy for when you're feeling like you don't have energy for that. So the point of that story is be yourself. And when you learn to finally be yourself, you will actually find more power in that and to, and instead of trying to be somebody that you're not. Okay, but then here's another Zen story. A Zen master had a student who was really lazy. <laughs> and this Zen master was not happy about it. And he wanted to change the student to quit being so lazy. And I think this has a lot to do with a Zen master knows their students pretty well. And they can say, just like a parent knows a child, like one child, all you have to do is give a child a stern look and they'll never misbehave that way again. And another child, you might have to uh, put them in a corner or threaten them or something <laughs> with taking away things. And then you got their attention, right? So in this case, the Zen master is like, this student is... Uh, being too lazy. It makes me think that the original story, maybe the student that was wanting to stop being so lazy, the Zen master like knows the student and was like, nah, you could actually kind of slow down a little bit. You're trying to be too overproductive and it's annoying everybody. There's a story, by the way, with the Zen master that when the Zen group got mad, and this is recent, like in recent history, the Zen group got irritated with a member of the Zen study group and cast him out of the the Zen study group, like it was a, like a live-in place. I think it was in France. Um, he went back and found the Zen student that had been outcast in town and told him, maybe even paid him or something like that, to come back because that difficulty that that person, that difficult person, the problems that they were providing with the students is the, is the problem that the students needed to face the most. 
<laughs> and I, I heard that the, the Zen group was like, what is going on? Why'd you bring this horrible person back? And the Zen master was like, you're here to work on yourself and work on problems and dealing with reality. Well, here's a whole lot of reality for you right now. Okay, anyway, the Zen master with the student that he thought was being too lazy told the student, took the student to a pond, actually, and then looking over the pond, he pointed at two lotus flowers or a whole bunch of lotus flowers. And lotus flowers are the lily ponds, pond lilies that float. And some of them were open and beautiful and some of them were uh, not opened yet. And the lotus flower is actually really symbolic in Buddhism, which is the root of Zen, because they are beautiful, but they blossom on top of a pond where usually the bottom of the pond is mucky and silty. So it's like, it shows that you've, uh, you've blossomed and arrived and become enlightened out of muck, right? So that's the symbology of the lotus flower. And he said, do you see that lotus flower? That, those right there that are blooming are beautiful and, and enjoying the life and the world. And the, the, they worked to get here and they are benefiting from this. Those lotus flowers over there that haven't blossomed yet, those are lazy. <laughs> and they haven't blossomed yet. And they're not getting to partake in all the beautiful sunlight and the world and the the insects and the the water and all that stuff and that's like you and what you need to do is work on your discipline and realize that laziness is a habit and if you start filling your morning with a little bit more activities and such you will get more discipline and you will become more motivated every day and then you will bloom like this lotus flower and the student did that and in the story he practiced martial arts and did more things in the morning and then after a while it changed who he was and became a less lazy person and achieved great things and the story of how that and the way that relates back to multi-sport training is the more you don't do stuff, the more you find yourself in a rut of not doing stuff, like getting up in the morning. And then the more that you start scheduling workouts and in the morning before work and in the evening after work, that you'll find that it's actually easier and you finally, you get some momentum and some traction and stuff and then you become productive. And there's a saying that if you wanna get something done, find the busiest person that you know in the office. And even though they are doing tons of stuff, they will actually be more likely to get that thing done because they're in the habit of getting things done where the other people are in the habit of being less productive or even to the point of being lazy. All right, that is it for your moment of Zen, things to think about. And let's move on with the rest of the show. I think what we have next is the training log. Yeah, so I'm gonna take you with me for a bunch of swims. I think there might be a run mixed in where I go over the form swim goggles and you got my first, second, and third use with them. And yeah, they're pretty, it's, it's pretty revelatory on how they changed my swim workouts and my conclusions I came to at the end. Also what you heard at the very beginning of the show, my final, final conclusion but I think it's kind of interesting to see, like you give things some time and some practice and, and it's so important to know yourself 
and observe yourself and see what actually works for you. And for you to know that, you have to, yeah, you have to study yourself. The person that knows himself is the most powerful person in the world because then you can measure against and improve. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trap. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes. Let's go exercise. Exercise. I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, all right, all right. Right about now, I think it's time we take our shirts off. Oh man, you gotta listen to Matt Damon's impersonation of Matthew McConaughey. Google it, it's freaking awesome. <laughs> but speaking of that, just finished a nice swim at the pool. And it's so hot. Changing out in the parking lot where there's a breeze. I mean, I've already done the shorts thing. But the t-shirt. We're gonna go ahead and hop in the car and get the AC on. And then what I do is I stop when I'm almost to work, pull over in this empty parking lot and finish changing. It's all about finding the little marginal gains, <laughs> not just in speed, but also in time efficiency. They add up. It's really great. I got another great success story on that here in a second. All right. Yeah, here we go. Really good morning swim. Welcome to the training log, everybody. Great morning swim went faster than usual, especially having missed a day. I swam Monday and then went to Houston. I would normally swim on Wednesday, but I was in Houston on Wednesday, helping my mom out around the house. Took a day off from work and then back in the pool. I biked last night, Thursday night. Back in the pool this morning, Friday morning, and was expecting to go slower because, because I missed a swimming day but turned out I went the same or faster. And I, I do 800s, five 800s for 4,000 yards. And I do the first one with a pool boy because it's nice and easy and slick and easy to go fast. If you go slightly faster with the pool boy, that means it's helping you lift your legs and you need it. You need to lift your legs more and swimming and get your head down a little bit more and it'll train you to do so and it'll train you to be streamlined and also train you to show how it's more about body position than kick you don't need to kick to be fast or kick much you're really kicking for balance you know like a squirrel uses its or a cat uses its tail for balance not for propulsion <laughs> it doesn't push off with its tail when running it uses it more for steering and swimming's a lot like that and then switch over to, that's set number one. Set number two is another 800 yards without the pool boy. And I try to keep the same pace that I was doing and try to keep the exact same position with just a little bit of kick to get my legs up to where the pool boy was helping me before keep my legs up. And I usually swim about one second per 100 slower without a pool boy. You think you would swim faster because now you're kicking, but kicking burns oxygen. So now you're a little bit more tired. It makes you kind of 
floppy in the water a little bit. You're not as streamlined. And then your legs aren't as high up. There was a guy in Ironman, Texas, or somebody in Ironman, Texas, where after the swim was over, they found a pool boy floating in the water. And it was obvious that they had cheated. Somebody had cheated and used a pool boy during the swim. And I think that happens more than people think. To save their legs and also swim faster. Anyway, back and forth and back and forth. So I end up averaging 130. And so I was doing 129s per 100 yards. And this is really easy swimming, just focusing on technique. And 129 per 100 on the pool boy and 130, 131 per 100 without the pool boy averages out to 130. And I find that using the pool boy to start off is make, makes for a good warm up because it's you're just so it's so easy to go faster, so it's it's easy on your upper body to just kind of slip through the water real gently and still be moving pretty fast. It's kind of like swimming downhill just a little bit. Actually, it's a lot like that when you think about it because your legs are up and your head's more down. But anyway, there's all that and. I might make a post on Instagram about getting lifed. Lifed is where something comes up and you can't work out. And as age groupers, we really, because training isn't our job, we don't get paid for it. We try to train and then we get lifed. Something happens where we can't work out. And my friend John Hirsch told me, that's a phrase for that, that's getting lifed, told me years ago. And it's okay. And the strategy around it is you just train all the time and then when life comes up then actually you need a break and then it's okay and then the break getting lifed which is a downside to training you actually have now multi-purposed it into an upside because it gives you a break and then when you get back on training from having to take a day or two off to take care of business you needed the break anyway and you come back faster which is exactly what happened to me going to Houston. And I took a full day and a half, maybe two days off of training. I think it was two days, 48 hours off of training. And also I realized that I treat training for my, for my mental health. It's like training is like eating meals. I need to train during the weekdays, twice a day, at least twice a day is nice. That's enough. I would do <laughs> If I didn't have a job, I guess. But twice a day, no matter what, it is just, you know, just like you eat no matter what, it would be a rare occasion to skip a meal. And then on weekends, I'll leave, I'll do a big workout. So it's be like having a big meal and on Saturday and Sunday. And then that is enough for the day. So like two one hour workouts on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, one in the morning, one in the evening, and then on Saturday, Sunday, just like a three to four hour workout in the morning. And it could be a combination on the big one, the four hour workout, one hour run, three hour bike, some kind of break. And I've been doing a lot of listening and a lifetime of paying attention to ADD, ADHD. I think ADD becomes ADHD. You throw in the hyper. <laughs> when you don't get in enough time of relaxation to kind of slow your mind down and wear you out a little bit. Some of the best 
therapy for ADHD being hyper because you can't pay attention because you have attention deficit. You're always like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel is aerobic exercise. It's been proven. I'm not making this one up. And then when you work out enough, then you're worn out enough. It kind of slows you down enough so that you get your executive function back and you can actually pay attention. And I'm really enjoying it. I suggest that if you're into long distance endurance sports, and especially in the triathlon where it's multi-sport, you might be self-medicating and not know it. Some of you do know it uh, for ADHD. And you're a high-functioning ADHD person. And if you stop training, you become depressed. That's another one. ADHD, actually, if you treat it right, you're a really positive, happy person. If you don't treat it right and come up with life skills, then you become... uh, Life skills to handle it and use it to your advantage instead of it being a handicap, then you become depressed because you're overwhelmed, because you can't get anything done, because you're too distracted with little stupid things. All right, I'm at my uh, clothes changing zone, so I'm going to get off the mic here. We can talk more about this in a minute. Another success story, though, is marginal gains in time management and with ADD, ADHD, is to put things right out front. Uh, If you have ADD or if you're a triathlete, (laughs) might as well be the same thing. (laughs) Then you got to give up on having an organized house. You'll leave crap everywhere because it's too difficult because you're jumping from thing to thing. You just end up leaving crap out all over the place unintentionally, but it just, you end up with clutter everywhere. So you have to decide that the household is going to be a convenient house, an efficient house. And then, because everything's really efficient, stuff actually does get put away, and then it looks more like an organized house. So you have to put things up front. It's the exact same concept of, you know, put things by the front door so you don't forget them. Well, I have a success story where after all these years, I finally got Emily, Zen Triathlon nurse, wife, to let me keep the fuel for making workout fuel on the kitchen counter because she wants to put it away in the bottom of the pantry way in the back. And so by the time you dig it out and by the time you make it, you're like, God damn it, I'm late. And you end up leaving it out on the counter and it makes a mess. I've been trying for years to get her to leave it on the counter. And, you know, the compromise is let's put it in something nice looking. And she she finally bought into that after I made her listen to an ADD, ADHD uh, podcast about how this really helps the household and makes people happy and you quit arguing and fighting over this stuff and so this morning i got up and got out my uh tall water bottle to make fuel in and now the gatorade stuff is in those ceramic tall containers that you use for like flour and sugar and stuff like that well we put gatorade sodium citrate gatorade endurance and table sugar in those different uh, containers and instead, and it was so nice. I just went over there, popped it open. I have to dig stuff out of the pantry, you know, find it because it's stacked in the back and low. I'm real tall. So like getting stuff out of the bottom of the pantry, is just so lame. And then, so this was so nice 
I just did it, did it, made my stuff, did it. And then because I was so excited about that, and also I was a little bit late to go swim already because I overslept, I promptly forgot my camelback. I forgot my uh, water bottle on the kitchen counter. <laughs> I didn't even bring it anyway. But it felt so good to be able to make it and without the extra three, four minutes of getting the stuff out and putting the stuff away. All right, that's it. I definitely need to get into W to the ERK. Be right back. Bang. All right, we are on our way. Here's the river. We are on our way to the bike shop because I dropped my bike off there earlier because I broke a spoke riding with Kai. It's on the Instagrams. You can see a video that I shot. It'll be on uh, Saturday the 22nd and where we were riding together and we were an hour and a half, I think, into the bike ride. But at just like 20, 25 minutes into the bike ride, I broke a spoke on my gravel bike. And I repaired it on the side of the road with a zip tie. Well, I didn't repair it. I patched it sort of. <laughs> I just zip tied it to another spoke <laughs> to, to keep it from uh, flopping around and possibly cutting, piercing my calf or something. Or getting caught in the drivetrain. And I just took it to the bike shop a while ago. And they said to come back in an hour or so. And hopefully it'll be done. So I got my fingers crossed. Because I want to go for another bike ride tomorrow. After a run with River. Alright. We're going to go on Rabbit Patrol. Tomorrow morning. When it's nice and cool. I was about to say when it's nice and cool. When it's cooler than it is right now. It's 108 degrees outside at the moment which is an untenable situation i'm drinking actually an iced coffee so we're gonna do what did i get for my birthday game guessing game because my birthday is tomorrow sunday morning and i'm gonna wake up and there's probably gonna be all the horrible you're turning 50 black crap all over the house God, I hope they don't do that. But the upside is, is being a multi-sport athlete, I think it's one of the best choices I've made in my life instead of being a single sport athlete. Because with, with single sports, that's all the, the only sport you know. And then you get hurt and then you keep going because that's the only sport you know. And then you make your injury worse and worse and worse until finally you destroy your body, like your knees or something. If you're a runner, for example. And being a multi-sport athlete, you can keep doing different, the other two sports while you wait for that one injury to heal. And it keeps you happy. And the thing a lot of people don't think about is... You're like, oh, well, I'm a runner. I could just go do another sport. I could go cycling. Well, you got to get all the cycling stuff. And you got to figure it all out. But if you're a multi-sport athlete, you've already got it all figured out. And plus, you're not putting so much load on your body in that one sport that you're probably not going to get as injured in anyway, I think, as you would if you were a single-sport athlete. After a while, you kind of figure out if something starts to hurt to back off. And you have these other two sports to fall back on and maybe spend more time doing. But anyway, we got two things we got to cover real quick is the broken spoke repair job and then also 
yeah, the guessing game on what I'm going to get. One of one of the items is super cool. So we'll see. So you're riding along and you break a spoke. What you do kind of depends on the wheel. I'll just cover the one wheel in the one type of situation. I was pedaling uphill, keeping up with Kai, and I broke the spoke. I heard a, a bang, you know, and I was about to say I didn't think much of it. I thought a lot about it, but I don't know. You're like, maybe it's nothing. And then at one point, Kai was behind me. We're taking turns, being in front, and he said, Hey, Dad, your wheel is wobbling. And I got off the bike and felt the wheel and it was solid on the axle the hub wasn't loose or anything and then i said i bet it's a spoke and then felt around and yep spoke was broken and it was broken at the hub which is interesting and also i think it was broken on the drive side which all makes sense when you put together the big picture putting down a lot of torque climbing a hill and that's exactly where a spoke would break on the drive side on the hub because that's the pl- because that's the closest part to the drive line your chain and all that so anyway what do you do well, you have to kind of evaluate the situation I was like well it's a 650 wheel it's got a lot of spokes I think it's probably triple laced lots of crossover and it's not good that somebody's already pointed out that it's wobbling. I mean, that's pretty bad. But we're early into a ride. It's a very important ride. Kai and I have been talking trash to each other for the past few days about who's going to beat who back to the house. It's a four-hour ride. It took a lot of work to get out there on the bike. It's just one spoke so far. Maybe it'll be okay. So zip-tied it. Oh, 650 wheel is a smaller wheel, and smaller wheels are uh, tougher. So I was kind of surprised I broke a spoke in the first place. But the remaining spokes are more likely to stay in place than a 700 wheel. And I've just been listening to a whole lot of interviews with people doing the Unbound, the Unbound XL which is 200 and then the 350 miles and then also the Continental Divide race where they go from Canada to Mexico and people with busted spokes riding 100 miles to a bike shop. (laughs) So it's definitely still rideable up to a point if you're really careful. So how do you be really careful on a busted spoke? I told Kai, hey, I'm going to be pedaling uphill easier than normal and I'm also going to be spinning to take the torque off the wheel if you do like low rpm cranking on it that's high torque it's not very smart that's a good way to to bust another spoke that's how I busted the first spoke in the first place and then also in turns take turns gently slow down into turns and try to keep the bike as vertical as possible when doing turns which means leaning the body instead of the bike And that way the wheels stay upright. And that way you're not getting as much twisting motion on the wheel against the hub. And maybe that'll keep things together. And 
I told Kai, I said, this is also an opportunity, and I'll share this with you all, this is a really cool opportunity to practice being as efficient and gentle as possible, and you would be surprised at, actually, a lot of times you go faster if you just try to be efficient and you're saving your energy, especially over a very long ride. And it worked. We actually had our fastest ride ever. We had to add in some extra road to do the four-hour mark. And we had a great ride. Saw other cyclists. I'm working on Kai, taking the front more often or riding more side-by-side. He's got a habit, you know, from us riding together since he was a little kid, of drafting off of me at first. And then (laughs) he is the better cyclist. And then as the ride goes on, him, you know, taking the lead and then beating me back to the house. And we had a $20 bet on who was going to make it back to the house first. And he saved all this energy because he's drafted off of me the entire first half of the ride. And he's a better cyclist. So what I do is my bike with aero bars is cheating compared to his bike with no aero bars. But he's the better, faster cyclist. So in the end, it evens out. And we end up being about the exact same speed. But he needs to spend more time, you know, riding without drafting. So it's more of a fair situation. So another quick thing is you can look at the video and see that the zip tie, it's a blue zip tie. I always recommend people get multicolored zip ties. I use multicolored zip ties in all different sizes. And I got a lot of black cables that look exactly the same. Well, I put like my headphones charging cable is has a little blue zip tie on the end of it. It's a great way to tag cables. And then my Garmin watch cables, I got one at work, one at home, is uh, yellow zip tied at the very end. But anyway... I had some zip ties in my hand the other day and I was like, oh, I should put some in my bike bag. So they were in my frame bag. So I grabbed a a zip tie and then I zip tied it. Now I got this five inches of zip tie hanging off. Like what the, how do I cut that? And I don't have anything to cut it with on me. So I showed Kai the trick of if you just bend a zip tie over and over and over again, back and forth and back and forth, eventually it'll break off. It just takes a minute maybe. But we didn't have anything to cut it with, so I did that. So when you see the video on Zen Triathlon on Instagram and the zip tie is cut, quote-unquote, it's not. I actually pushed it back and forth until it snapped. That's a cool trick to share with my son and with y'all. Okay, there's that. And then I took the bike to the bike shop. And that's where we're on our way to now. Oh, yeah, the other thing is the situation with the birthday People were asking me what I wanted, and then of course I want a power meter and race wheels, and both of those are a thousand dollars plus each. <laughs> so that ain't happening. You can't ask people that for your birthday. So I made a, a list of increasing order of cost, and I said if, and this is to family, not even friends, just family. Um, a helmet. I like Giro helmet that has a ton of vents, and that way it's nice and cooling. That's what my current one is, and it's got a crack in it, and I'm excited to get a new one of those. You know, Kai's got the calf helmet, but that's a special deal with him, not me, so I'm going to get a Jiro helmet. 
I have to get one anyway. These are things that I need to get anyway, right? Uh, bike pump, we only have one bike pump right now, and it's one that's a blaster pump, so it's really overkill and not convenient because it's kind of big and heavy. And it's always nice to have two or three bike pumps. That way somebody in your family can take a bike and a bike pump with them to go on their bike ride if they're riding uh, somewhere outside of town or across town or something like that. And you still got a bike pump at the house so that you can pump up your tires yourself. So both of those, well, the helmet is probably 60 to 80 bucks. They've proven that um, helmets don't really need to be that expensive to be great or to be aerodynamic. What I'm concerned about is speed, right, and cooling in Texas. And so I want a white helmet with a ton of venting. And when you start paying more for a helmet, it's for, like, nice niceties, I guess. Like, Kai's being 3D printed is really cool. And then you get, like, a super lightweight helmet because you're a climber, and that's going to make a big difference. And... You know, it's got some carbon fiber mixed in it. So that's why you go up in price. Doesn't necessarily make it like a better, like safer helmet is what I mean. There's a difference between better and safer. And then, and you don't necessarily need to spend a whole lot of money to get a safer helmet. And I'm more concerned about safer for me personally and aero and cooling. And I already have an aero helmet, one of the teardrop helmets like a Giro Advantage 2 one of these ridiculous teardrop looking things for triathlon so I don't I would wear that if I wanted to be really aero in a triathlon and then yeah the bike pump who knows I just want one with a big gauge on it so I can see the tire pressure easily for my old eyes from a distance not really I got fine vision I won't I just I just want one with a big gauge so you can be precise with how much so you can be more precise with how much air you're putting in your PSI. And then the next step up was a bike jersey. And that can kind of vary. I love to wear pink bike jerseys, bright pink. Because if you're on the road, the safety factor of wearing a bright pink jersey is amazing. That is not a color that happens in nature very often that much. And especially if it's on a guy, people are like, what is that? <laughs> And real men wear pink, just like real men eat quiche. And also, it's the team color of EF, Endurance First, or Education First, and that's uh, Lockwood Morton's team, and they, they wear that all the time in all these big races. They look fantastic in it. And so I've got this bright pink jersey, and i got another jersey that's kind of pinkish red, and I tend to wear those on the road because I know that I stand out. And that with my white helmet and my blinky light, my Garmin rear radar, my pink jersey, I feel like I'm statistically really decreasing my chances of being hit by a car. And finding a pink jersey in a men's size used to be really difficult. And it took me a year of looking before I came across one. I was kind of casually looking at bike shops. I'd see these cool pink jerseys. I was like, oh, whoa, pink. That would be so awesome. And then it's women's, 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 women's. And then I was at this bike shop at the Cactus Cup races in phoenix arizona and they have one that looked really really cool but i've lost some weight and i now that jersey's like a little bit floppy on me and so i'm looking for another one plus i'm going to wear it out eventually so i went online to amazon the other day and just typed in men's jersey pink 
men's cycling jersey pink. And oh my God, the results. There's so many of them now. So one, that's a progress in society that it's okay for men to wear hot pink. Thank you, Endurance First, for being one of the teams that made it look cool. And it definitely helps them stand out as a team. It is really, really neat. In fact, it's so it's becoming so common now, men wearing pink, that we're kind of over the over the hump. We're over the, the situation of that so much. I feel like if somebody came up to me and was like, are you wearing pink? I'd be like, what is your problem, you idiot? <laughs> it's been like that for quite a while now. And then you got to remember where I live. I live in like super conservative Texas. And then the, although I remember like in middle school in the eighties and in high school in the eighties and nineties, like you were pretty daring and pretty ballsy if you wore pink and it meant you were kind of badass. And uh, I did, I had like a pink polo shirt. I really liked it. Okay. Anyway, next up. Well, those jerseys can vary anywhere from $30 to $100. There, there's an endurance first, education first. I keep saying that. Uh, jersey, $600 and something dollars for like a rep, perfect like replica. And like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then the next thing up was a tonneau cover is what they call it. The flatbed, the flat cover for the back of your pickup truck. And I've been wanting one of those forever uh, because it turns the whole bed of your truck into a trunk. So you can keep stuff in there and it's lockable and they make some that just kind of roll instead of folding. So it can roll right up to the cab and you still got the full use of the bed of your truck. I'm really excited about possibly getting one of those. I've been asking for one of those for so long and somebody showed me one on their truck that was only 200 to $250 and said it was really, really great. I found that on Amazon and sent that link to everybody <laughs> and my family. And then like, if you want to spend a lot of money on my birthday and also help me save gas money because they also improve your gas mileage, uh, we could talk about this. That'd be kind of cool. And then it also makes your car feel uh, kind of new again to add something to it. Kind of like with your bike. And my car is three years old and it'd be kind of cool to do something with it. And then the last thing that I remember asking for was the form goggles. And those are the ones that have the head up display in it that tell you your time, distance, pace. And man, I spend all my swimming, like looking at my watch constantly while swimming. It'd be so cool to have, and I love gadgets and technology and I would really dig it to have like a head up display showing me all that stuff. And then we would review it on the show. It'd be so cool. And I got a feeling that my mom is going to step up and get that. Cause she asked a lot of questions about it. And also she's a swim mom. She took me and my brother to swim team practice and meets ever since we were tiny little kids all through high school and college. And I remember saying something like, man, it is tough taking Kai to soccer practice in this heat and stuff. And she goes, oh, yeah? <laughs> Try taking your kid to a swim meet indoors for hours and hours all day, sometimes two days, to watch him swim for like 30 seconds to a minute and just breathe in all that chlorine and humidity and heat. I'm just sitting there reading the book while you boys are doing that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, the form swim goggles would be really, really cool. I got my eye on them anyway. I think I'm going to get some eventually trying to save up and get a pair and review them on the show. So anyway, I'm going to go in and see if my bike's ready and probably get on the mic again tomorrow and see what we got for loot. 
And, you know, I'm old enough. I don't, I don't really care about presents so much. I care more about, um, well, actually not at all. <laughs> I'm old enough where it's not anything about the presents. That's kid stuff. I am excited to whatever I get to talk about it on the podcast and share with y'all and do some reviews. Like I think at the beginning of this podcast or another podcast soon, we're going to review Kai's cab helmet, this 3D printed thing. It is cool. All right. I'll be right back.